This is episode 327 of the AWS podcast, released on August 11th, 2019. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Leisha here with you. Great to have you back. Today we're going to talk about a topic of efficiency. Uh, when I'm doing software development and architecture and design, I'm always hungry for ways to make things easier, quicker, less prone to failure is always a good thing. And uh, I've been doing this for a while now and uh, the lesson that I continue to learn, relearn and take with me as I go through my iterations of design is simplicity makes things better. Why? Well, less moving parts is typically a good thing, less things that can go wrong, less complexity, uh, easier for people to understand what's happening. Often the less things you have to do in a process, the faster that process is, and the less prone to unexpected results it is as well, particularly at scale. However, there's also smaller tasks that we do, little workflows that we build for ourselves, etc., where we can benefit from having access to sophisticated capabilities that can be strung together very, very fast. So today what I want to focus on is something called Amazon S3 event notifications. Now these are notifications that can be sent in response to actions in Amazon S3 like puts, posts, copies or deletes. And these messages can be sent through to either Amazon SNS, the Simple Notification Service, Amazon Simple Queuing Service, SQS or directly to AWS Lambda. Now, this is a really powerful capability because if we think about how often we use Amazon S3 as an object store in an architecture, it's often a landing location, a processing location, a final destination for data. And let's face it, most systems that exist in the world rely on data of some sort that is persistent. And this data is critical to the context of what we're doing and why we're doing something. And often the code we develop or the systems we build is to process data from one form into another to deliver a particular outcome. Now, what Amazon S3 event notifications lets you do is run workflows, send alerts, or do other actions based upon response to changes in your objects stored in S3. And this can be useful for a number of use cases. The, the obvious one is kind of like the classic transcoding media files when they're uploaded or processing some data files as part of an ETL process or synchronizing S3 objects with other data stores. You can also use it to look for unexpected activity. You know, did something come into place that shouldn't have come into place? Was something deleted where you wouldn't have expected to be deleted, etc.? One of the nice things about this event flow concept is that the options are really endless to what you need to do. The thing that I like most about it is that it is so simple to set up, yet it is very, very sophisticated. And we'll get into some of the setup details shortly and how you might choose to use them. The other nice thing I like it is, as you know, I have a passion for efficient architecture, i.e. getting the job done at the lowest possible cost. And the uh, charges for using Amazon S3 for event notifications is a sensational charge, which is the grand total of zero. You pay only for the use of Amazon SNS or SQS to deliver the notifications or for the cost of running the AWS Lambda function as a result of that. And we'll talk about some ways you can reduce those costs as well by only invoking things when you need them. But the nice thing is, is this whole Amazon S3 event notification structure and capability is just part of what S3 does for you. It doesn't cost anything. So how do we get started? Well, firstly, we want to think about our actual workflow. What's our business use case we're trying to solve? And as part of that, we're going to understand where our data objects are being landed in S3 and what we might want to do with them. 
Now, an important decision point at this stage is to think about the prefixes you want to use in terms of the storage of those objects. So you can kind of think of them like directories. They sort of appear like a directory structure. So for example, if you've got uh, an image processing pipeline, you may have images in slash, and then uh, as a result, you might want to have images out slash, etc. These are really important constructs because what it allows you to do is to filter where the event notifications take place. One of the uh, traps for young players, if I can put it that way, is that we just chuck everything into the sort of root location of the S3 bucket and then start to want to build triggers against that. And we very quickly realize that uh, the trigger is going to trigger on everything in that particular location because it all has the same prefix. Whereas if we locate things with different prefixes, that allows us to get far more granular in terms of the events. Now, the events themselves are very, very flexible. Basically, any event that's taking place on the S3 bucket can be interpreted and used. And you can also get nuanced with your events. So for example, you can have an event of object created, but you might have object created put, or an object created post, or an object created copy, or an object created complete multi-part upload. Now you can choose whether you just cater for all the object created uh, events or specific ones as well, which means it very powerful to be very fine grained in terms of how you respond to particular events. Now you can set these events up using the Amazon S3 console, which is certainly the quickest and easiest and hashtag latest way to do it. And I admit to have done it, that, done it that way myself. You can also use the SDKs and the command lines, et cetera, all that good stuff. Irrespective of how you choose to set this up, Amazon S3 stores the notification configuration as XML in the notification sub-resource associated with a bucket. There's lots of information about that, but you don't really need to worry about it per se. It's one of those things you can dive into if you want to but I tend to use some sort of abstraction to create those particular notifications. Now with each event type, as I mentioned, you can use SQS, SNS, or Lambda. You typically would use SNS when you want a reaction to an event that then gets often fanned out to a lot of other subscribers. So SNS is really good, is really useful for that fan out type uh, design pattern. So you may say, you know, when an object arrives in S3, we want to kick off uh, a notification to someone, we want to kick off some sort of background process and something else happens or we update a table, etc. So you could choose to sort of feed off information to multiple locations. The use of SQS is more around batch processing or after the fact processing where you may want to build up a queue of work for a particular worker node to take advantage of. So when an object arrives, you may post that event into the SQS queue and that then gets consumed. Conversely, you may want to send it to Lambda and sending it to Lambda is really about uh, applying maybe more sophisticated processing or some direct processing to that particular object uh, immediately. And again, as that comes through, it comes through with a great deal of information. Something you may not be aware of is, uh, particularly if you go into the Lambda console, you can see the configuration of test events for Lambda. And there are many, many event templates. And for example, there's an Amazon S3 put template. And this is an example of the data that you get sent when a new object gets put into an Amazon S3 bucket. And this can be really useful to understand, hey, I get my key, I get my size, I get a whole lot of other uh, metadata. I, of course, get told which bucket it is, etc. So you can do a whole lot of really cool capabilities. Now, as I mentioned, you don't pay anything for using the S3 events. However, you do pay for the events you trigger. So let's say you're calling Lambda, you're going to invoke costs for using Lambda. Now, you may want to be more restrictive about which events get processed and how. And you can do this very, very simply using something called object key name filtering. And basically you can configure the notifications to be filtered by the prefix and the suffix of the key name of objects. 
So you could uh, set up a configuration so you only get a notification when the image file has a .jpg extension or as I mentioned before, it has a prefix of images slash, for example. You can also have multiple uh, rules in place as long as they're not overlapping. So we want to configure non-overlapping prefixes. So for example, you could say uh, if something gets dropped into a uh, slash images uh, location, then it would go to a SQSQ. But then you may have another one that's a, um, a errors slash uh, prefix that might go to a Lambda, for example, or an SNS. It's really up to you. But by having these non-overlapping rules, it allows you to delineate very, very clearly how and what you want to action when an event takes place. It also means you're not calling functions that then don't have any work to do because it doesn't match their particular uh, rule set. Now, before Amazon S3 can publish messages to a destination, you have to grant the Amazon S3 principal the necessary permissions to call the relevant API to publish messages to an SNS topic or an SQSQ or a Lambda function. Great information the user guide about how to do this, but it's one of those things that if you sort of start to set things up and forget to do that step, you're like, why isn't this working? Uh, it's because of hashtag security. Another trap is you want to be careful about updating in place a particular object based upon the event you triggered. And this is one of those mental model things that you need to remember. So, for example, let's say you've got our classic images example and you bring the image into a directory and your job is to say, well, as soon as an image lands, it's going to call a Lambda function that's going to take the image itself, add a watermark and save it again. Now you may say, that's awesome. I'm just going to create the Lambda function that takes the image and saves it. Uh, the image comes in, event gets triggered, Lambda gets triggered, take the image, alter it, and then I write it back to where the image was in the S3 bucket. What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> uh, updating the same thing that you call the event on is not a good pattern and is not going to work very well and is going to cause you all sorts of hair-pulling moments. So what you would do in that case, for example, is have a uh, prefix of image input. The event gets triggered on that particular prefix. You do the work in Lambda, and then when you save it, you may save it to a location prefix by image output. That will not, of course, trigger the input event, which means you get a nice seamless workflow. Now, I've seen customers use this uh, approach for some really sophisticated workflows. And the benefit is it's very, very quick to set up and very easy to manage. And so they were able to get what used to take a long period of time in terms of sort of step-by-step -step type workflows up and running very, very quickly. Now, some things to note. Amazon S3 event notifications typically deliver events in seconds, but can sometimes take a minute or longer. And on very rare occasions, events might be lost. So if your application requires particular semantics, for example, uh, no events are missed or that operations are run only once, uh, we recommend that you account for missed and duplicate events when designing your application. Now you can audit for missed events by using the list objects API or the Amazon S3 inventory reports. And there are many approaches of how you might choose to do this. Uh, it really depends on the use case. Again, it's just something to bear in mind when you design. Essentially, when you design any application, you need to think about the services that you're using, their capabilities, their limitations, etc. That said, these notifications are designed to be delivered with a very high degree of reliability. It includes built-in back-off and retry mechanisms to deal with the momentary issues that might affect the delivery of messages to any of those three targets that we mentioned. So something useful in your kit bag when you're building solutions large or small where workflow is important and handing things off is important and it's very much event-based and you don't want to have to build kind of the scaffolding and the management around that. You just want to get something done. Now, a little bonus thing I want to mention in relation to Amazon S3 because it's really important to understand a couple of really useful Amazon S3 security features. 
This is the block public access and S3 object locked capabilities. Now, what S3 block public access does is it provides controls across an entire AWS account or at the individual S3 bucket level to ensure that objects never have public permissions. If an object is written to an AWS account or an S3 bucket that has S3 block public access enabled, and that object specifies any type of public permissions via ACL or policy, those public permissions are blocked. So this is a really good second layer of protection to ensure that you don't inadvertently grant broader access to objects than intended. If you're not using this today, I encourage you to go set it up. It literally takes five minutes to set up via the console or you can do it via the CLI, the SDK, and there'll be a link in the show notes of how to do this. Also, you can always check for public buckets in the S3 console. So this gets flagged uh, automatically for you that shows you where uh, a bucket has objects or the bucket itself is available to the public. And you can also use AWS Trusted Advisors S3 bucket permissions to check and notify you of any open buckets at no cost to you. As a reminder, when you create a bucket and when you create objects, they are private by default. So you have to explicitly make them public. What this provides is a second mechanism to protect against the inadvertent making of public. So you may say, well, this particular bucket should never under any circumstances for any reason have any public objects. And you can set that at a policy level that then gets done. Now, if at a subsequent point, a developer maybe uh, assigns a uh, make public ACL to a particular object in that bucket, it will be ignored and will not be made public. So this is a really useful extra second control. S3 Object Lock handles a different customer use case. It allows you to attach a specific retention date or specify an indefinite retention that we call legal hold to an S3 object. Now what this means is that S3 prevents deletion of that object until the date passes. So customers frequently have data with defined retention periods. For example, logging data may need to stay around for 30 days or quarterly backups have a six month retention and end of year summaries last for five years or seven years depending on the jurisdiction you're in. If you activate your S3 object lock, it gives you an additional layer of protection to ensure that data is not inadvertently deleted. And so object lock can be used in two modes, governance mode and compliance mode. In governance mode, the lock can be removed by an administrator with additional privileges. In compliance mode, S3 does not allow deletion under any circumstances. Lots more information in the show notes, but this is a really useful tool for the data that you need to absolutely must keep and you don't want anyone to accidentally delete it. It allows you to do this on a policy basis, makes it very easy to set up, and it gives you an assurance in terms of the ability to maintain that data for long periods of time and not lose it out of sequence or out of order. So hopefully a few useful storage-related tips and tricks that you can use in your own environment. As ever, we do love to get your feedback. AWSpodcast at Amazon.com is the place for that. Please do tell others about the podcast. It's available on all manner of podcatchers. It's getting broader and broader uh, every day in terms of where you can get it. So uh, I'm always interested to hear where people are listening to the podcast. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. And until next time, keep on building.